0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So
1: tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAFighting.com or download
0: the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Ben, joined by Mike and Alex Rubenstein here in studio. And we're going to talk a little bit about some teams we haven't talked about a whole lot lately because they're topical. They're playing well. There's um, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are a divisive team in the SB Nation NBA world here. Alex and Mike have very different thoughts on some of their players. It's funny how they're divisive, like... That's sort of the point. Yeah, I mean, well, it's this weird. Why are they the, divisive? But one of the best parts about it is we could have and we will be having individual conversations about the, the totality of the Minnesota Timberwolves' success, but then ultimately also we're going to talk about what it means to have Tyus Jones playing well and Jeff Teague not playing, what the team looks like. This debate about Andrew Wiggins, who... <laughs> <laughs> who i'm right about who alex mike not. mike and alex have been debating uh, about his there's uh, not really much of a debate stance in the or, or place in, in the nba's hierarchy for for a few years now um and then we'll also talk about carl anthony towns who uh, paul flannery wrote a great piece about on sb nation and mike will kind of dive into how hard he is on himself and how hard we are on on him um for such a young guy who's so great, you know he's, he's kind of an interesting way about him um, and, and a maturity level that, that makes you feel like he's not young, but then at other times shows how young he is. He's just a, a very multifaceted human being um, and someone who I've enjoyed listening to in podcasts. I would say check out the J.J. Reddick podcast where Carl Anthony Towns joined. Is pretty deep. He's super smart, too. But um, anyhow, so we're going to talk about the Timberwolves. We're going to touch on some some stuff that I'm I'm angry about, like uh, Joel Okafor uh, writing yeah, something in the, is the back. Players <laughs> Tribune. Some vendettas, Bendetta uh, is back, giving Steph Curry the credit that he deserves. Not that anyone at this point. There's just you either fall into the give Steph the credit he deserves or don't. But. And by the way, fair warning: we are going to
1: talk a little bit about LeVar Ball, but uh, we're going to try to leave the like media medic meta discussion yeah. out and think about this more in terms of the Lakers yes
0: basketball we're a uh, try I know that some culture. people
1: are got LeVar fatigue and yeah. Alex I think what was the comment you made when I mentioned we were gonna talk about LeVar um,
2: I think if the Lakers don't handle that situation and soon, they can kill and kiss goodbye any chance they have of getting LeBron. Oh
1: uh, well, there's that, but also you were saying like I just don't care oh, like, about yeah. media stuff.
2: He can say Lonzo's better than LeBron or Kevin okay Durant. now, like, yeah, no, yeah, no, I I don't care what he says.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of that with okay. our listeners, so then, we're gonna avoid that part
0: of it. Yep, and then we're gonna do, uh, and then the last part here, well. Fringe. Well, I want to talk t- uh, slightly about the handling of um, Kyle Lowry's back injury last night. This is uh, what is it Tuesday? On Monday night, he landed horribly awkwardly. Great game, though. Great, great game. Great game. That bo- I'm sure nobody watched because they're all watching football. Yeah, the national uh, I don't championship know, Like on. cough, cough, Ben <coughs> <coughs> or uh, Alex <coughs> or the rest of SB Nation. Everyone um, who
1: doesn't hate football. Everybody who yeah. doesn't. Uh, everybody who doesn't appear in a basketball podcast.
0: <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, the point is, I, I did. You know, watch. The, I saw the play, I watched the extended highlights, and uh, the way that we, the NBA handles a back injury or something pertaining to the spinal area compared to every other sport last night was on full display. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then also Alex has a save it for the pod hot take here that Uh, Again, Mike disagrees with. It's even more ridiculous than his one last. Yeah, Uh, last week, Alex said Fultz will be traded in the next 13 months by the Sixers. This one relates to a theoretical first round playoff matchup between the Raptors and Heat, which is not going to happen. We'll get to it when we get to it. All right, so let's Did you see, by the the way, that
1: hmm? Fultz might come back for the London game? For the London game? He was talking
0: about it. I mean, (laughs) great. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> and uh, uh, but let's let's start with the Timberwolves, uh Mike. So Paul wrote this piece on, on Anthony Towns, and I think a good place to start is with Towns who's having a great year buoyed by the fact that he actually has a, a second player now who's actually the le- I would say leader of the team. Oh, absolutely. Jimmy I mean, Butler. that's
1: I think the big change that we've seen over the last
0: few month few weeks is so- that Jimmy Butler has really Stop
1: trying to fit in.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And created the atmosphere that he wants that people fit in with. Um, yeah. So, Talk to me about the evolution of the Wolves. There, there's been high expectations for them for a few years now that were unmet. As their young players have now matured slightly, they're still super young, but they are not a young team. As LeBron said last night over and over in his presser or pregame, whatever, like they're not a young team. they got plenty of veterans. They have some young players, but they have a good mix. Generally speaking, a mix you look for in successful teams on the cusp of becoming you know, playoff and, and again championship contenders. So talk to me talk to me a little about them, Mike. What yeah, what so, are the Timberwolves fascinating to you for? So
1: they won by four, they won by twenty eight points last night. They were up by as many as forty one on the Cavaliers. I believe it was LeBron's worst loss uh, or worst single plus minus performance of his career, something along those lines. Uh, like they smashed him and they have been sort of on a roll. I know um, they lost to Boston, but otherwise they—they're already—they're only two games back of the Spurs for third, which I—I I don't know. Tom pointed it out the other day, and I was like, whoa! I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, yeah. Twenty-six and, long... and sixteen. Yep. So, to me, one of the fun, one of the interesting things about this team is how we talk about them, and there is. I some people like uh hate when we talk about this because you know it depends on how you view the the Timberwolves. And I I don't remember if we had this discussion on a podcast or if we had it somewhere else. But it's enough of a thought in Wolves fan circles that, you know, is this team overachieving, achieving, underachieving? Are they are they going in the right direction? Is this not like obviously they're better, but like where is this all going? And it, it is interesting to me that this is sort of where we are with that team and that we're having this meta discussion about, you know, on the one hand, they're not advancing in an entertaining way or in a way that is like maybe some people see sustainable. On the other hand, like there's the, the other crowds like, dude, they've missed the playoffs for 13 straight years. Yeah. And you don't and bring in twi- Tibbs
0: to get like aesthetically pleasing results. Well, that's I think <laughs>
1: to me, that's the center of the tension right there is that this is not a team. This is a team that I think when they first came together with Towns and Wiggins and these generational talent or number one picks we're going to argue about Wiggins in a second. Um and I'm curious, and this is where I'm curious to hear Alex's perspective because you were saying that you think that this is not particularly sustainable what they're doing. When we when those guys came together, I think there was a thought that like when you have that much talent you're you're looking at like a penny shack, a you know, OKC stars, like one of those teams that not only is really great, but is also sort of revolutionary in style, revolutionary in how we talk about them in the state of the league, like the kind of team that you're going to talk about for years and years to come. They're doing something that is, is particularly really revolutionary. And then they get Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson. And these are like, like Ben was saying, these are like the most pragmatic people pieces ever i think there's a sense that some people feel a little betrayed that they've gone in that direction just because there are hopes of them because of the talent they had put together as being truly revolutionary now really all they're saying is that it doesn't really matter how we win we need to walk before we can run we need to we're not really worried about the aesthetics as much anymore maybe i'm projecting too much into this but that always has seemed to be at the center of the tension when we talk about them
0: well let me just try to break that down alex are they running and use this analogy at the the speed that you would uh, assume they'd be at right now or, or or would you say that they are advanced because i look at this and i think talent wise they should be right in the four or five i mean they like in the west they they look to be where you would assume they should be but that it's the actual application like coming you know to the table and being these players or, or being the team that you would have assumed so are they where you?
2: They are the where I where I kind of expected them to be. I think even if it sacrifices them a couple of wins in the standings and maybe a spot or two for their postseason seed, they got to play their stars a little less. Um, you know, <laughs> as we record this January 9th, three of the top four, four of the top ten in the NBA in minutes are Timberwolves, <laughs> and 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 they're going to have a first round series versus OKC probably, and they should win that. I just I think Thibodeau is going to run them into the ground, and they can run out of gas, but. I so, think that's their main problem right now.
1: So here's a question about the—I think this hits an interesting point. When you haven't made the playoffs—what the Timberwolves, I think, would say about that and what Tibbs would say about that uh, is that if you haven't made the playoffs for 13 years, you don't have the luxury of worrying about minute stuff like—I'm not saying I totally agree with this, but the idea is that you need to—you You're not. You don't have the luxury of worrying about, like, pacing yourselves and— sort of building up, you know, sacrificing regular season games. There's something about the destination of being good that you need to reach before you can sort of worry about that stuff.
2: If they were a fringe playoff team, I would agree with that. But I think if they play a little less, lose a couple more games, they drop from like four to five or six. And I think think that's worth it.
1: That could be meaningful, though.
2: It could be meaningful. I think
0: that
1: could be quite meaningful.
2: Running out of gas could be meaningful, too.
0: No, I know. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're 15 and six at home, 11 and 10 on the road and impressively 21 and six against the Western Conference, which is... Mm-hmm. The second best mark in the entire Western Conference, only behind the Warriors. So I do I would say that the four or five matters. You have a young, emotional team. Get me as yeah. many home games as possible, oh, especially because the, the opponent is about as emotional of a team as you can find in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and this speaks as well to, I think what what the goal, how you goal set,
1: you know, is the is the goal this the the Timberwolves. I think are approaching this as the goal this year is to establish ourselves as not just a playoff team, but sort of a a team that is serious, a team that has a foundation of winning, all those other kind of Thibodeauian cliches. And then maybe going forward, you can think about you know the rest stuff. Now, I know Thibodeau's track record doesn't suggest that he would. Um, and there are some interesting bigger picture questions with this team that we'll get into uh, as far as their future. But I, to me, this is the center of the minutes thing. It all circles back to the same point, which is we want this team to – sort of be revolutionary and grow organically. And we would hope that, like the Thunder, they would kind of build up with their young guys. And instead, they have said, you know, we're tired of waiting around. You know, we underachieved trying that last year. We're just going to go for whatever we can go for now and worry about the great step later. And I think that's sort of the, the kind of thing that people feel a little betrayed by in some way, I think at least, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to think about
0: Jimmy Butler's role in all this, I would say. Some so much of this feels like, like what do you want as a fan base, right? Right. Like if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves and like let's put our we live in Minnesota hats on, very warm hats. And <laughs> <laughs> but with that in mind, like y- you want to see a playoff game. You need these guys, you need the intensity of Carl Anthony Towns to be amplified in his first playoff game. Like you mm-hmm. need to, you need to validate You know, we'll get into Wiggins later, but like whatever steps he's made, you need to validate the move you made for Jimmy Butler. Because let's be honest, some of the young guys they gave up in that trade look pretty good. Like there's that trade is not looking quite as bad as it did when it happened. It's just not. Well, one of the young guys. Yeah, one of the young guys. Pretty good. Yeah, Dunn looks great. I mean, but okay. So, but the point is like, so that's one part. The other part is, you know, at what point do you, as a fan, again say? I don't care how this team came together. I'm just happy that we have it. Like, there's this whole, like, cling to your guys thing. The Warriors went through this. They drafted all their best players, except for one guy. And there was some Warriors fans before they won their title who, like, weren't fully bought into the idea they had to bring in a mercenary. And, like, that's sort of the deal here. Like, you have a lot of homegrown talent. you got a team, a franchise, who's basically lived on that when they drafted KG or whether that was drafting Kevin Love. Like, they have not brought in big-time free agents whatever it may be, but now things got accelerated. The moment they made that trade for Jimmy Butler, the expectations for this year were they better be making the playoffs and then they should potentially host one. And and like you said,
1: when you hire Tom Thibodeau, yes. this is sort of what you get, I think. Um, but Jimmy Butler's role in all this is fascinating to me because he spent about a month. First of all, when you trade for Jimmy Butler, 20-year-old, 8-year-old star in his prime, also kind of a guy that he's kind of at his best when he – is in control of a lot of stuff, you know. I think yeah. I think that's a fair way to say it. I mean, he's he's best. He's not a role player. He used to be, but I think he's done with that. Jimmy Butler, yeah, yeah, not a role player. No, you no, gotta
2: no, no. you gotta the, he's got to be the focal point of what you're doing,
1: right? Yes. And he's best even if he has sort of this role playing history. Like he kind of as he does his best when he's not. So he spent
0: about a month sort of trying to fit in. And you and, watched the game last night, Mike. I did. Yes. Yep. What did Jimmy Butler do in that game last night? Cavs are at the top of the, th- like, the, in terms of matchup for Jimmy Butler? Like, t- to kind of use last night's game as, like, the w- way to extrapolate the value of Jimmy Butler to the team.
1: Right. So, what I think happened, what I think is interesting about Butler is sort of encapsulate a little bit in how he played. So, in the first month of the year, he wasn't as active offensively. He was trying to fit in. And then there came to a point where he was just like, you know what, like, F this. Like, I'm just going to be me. I'm just gonna be dominant and everybody else is gonna fall in line. And when that happens, I've noticed and this is something that we've we've we saw in this game, we see it a lot. He plays better defensively, he's more engaged, he's more active when he is more active offensively, I think is sort of what I notice. And and that has interesting long term implications, I think, for the Timberwolves that you know, and this is where it speaks to the strategy of building how they've built their team. Like is it it it's good for them right now that Jimmy Butler is doing this, you know. What is that going to mean for the future? I think that's that's an interesting
0: question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if it's in the face of long term, you know, the long term growth. Well, that's or, that's sort that the of the question? big question. Yeah. Uh, Alex, do you think it is?
2: I do think it is. I think they they had to work towards this step. Uh, They had to work like they had some struggles at the beginning of the season, but I mean that's that's part of the process of integrating a new star. And I think uh, they're kind of finding their footing now, and that's that's what they had to do.
0: So one guy who's not a star, but he's found himself in top tier point guard, not top tier, second tier point guard conversation, and maybe thinks of himself as a star, which he might not be, is Jeff Teague. Sorry for the long preamble there. But yeah, like, that was a long Teague's preamble. has been out. Like he's not playing right now. So I, I And think, the team's better. I think this is interesting too. So <laughs>
1: Ty they're starting Tyus Jones, teak has been out. I think I'm a big pecking order type of guy. I think it's important for a team to know who's doing what and that everybody's gotta be capable of stepping above their means, but at a certain point, there there always are gonna have to be people that need to focus their energy on stuff that's smaller so that there's some people that focus on energy that's bigger. I'm a big believer in that. As soon as Teague went out, Jimmy Butler has the ball more. And I think that's sort of clarified a few things with how Minnesota is doing and I think it's helped them. They're playing faster. They're more... Pushing the pace, uh, getting up the floor, Tyus Jones like is more willing to advance the ball quickly and not have to survey. Sometimes these things have a way of working themselves out fit wise. And I know you're not a big Jeff Teague fan.
2: I think I straight up think they're better with Tyus Jones. Um, well, certainly they have been. Yeah, uh, I mean Teague's probably going to get his starting job back, but at the I mean you got to limit his minutes and play the kid more. He's he's earned it. He's shown it.
0: Yeah, I mean you. It's not just that, but Tyus Jones appears to be filling in a few gaps as well, which is that they're they're a big team like Mike you look across the board there's not a lot of perimeter uh, um, not the word not, not perimeter speed because they have, no, there's perimeter length, but there's the, not the a lot missing of is like they ain't any
1: jitterbugs on that team. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. They need that one quicker guy to have, you know, the court spacing properly and again to kinda of do the dirty work, and this is Tyus Jones's niche in the NBA. Like he's the facilitator, he's uh, gonna have to be there to make like you know, the, the deflections and muck it up. And like last night there was that great sequence where like LeBron blocked the crap out of his shot. <laughs> yeah, and then he got great. another breakaway and threw it down. And like he, he called him Tyler Jones, he called before him the Ty- game. yeah, yeah, it <laughs> like, was pretty good. But like that disrespect, and I, I as you know, I'm a huge LeBron fan. I hate when he disrespects other players who are like lesser than him for no reason other than maybe. to explicitly attack that one. It's like what he did to, to Frank Nikolai. Uh, like, forgot. Maybe he forgot Ty no, Jones' first thing we can't, we can't simultaneously call LeBron the most <laughs> cerebral player in the history of the league and then not give him, call it out when he purposely screws up guys' names. He sounds like my dad trying to pronounce like different NHL players from Finland. <laughs>
1: maybe he had too much. Maybe he just forgot in the moment.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Like sometimes when you know more things, you forget more. There's things to no. Here. He did that to undermine the competition that night. That's why he did that. And all it did was spark the guy. I was, was going to say like game. it's ineffective. So why would he do that consciously? By the way, it's LeBron, man. You you know exactly what I mean. There's what? everything is premeditated. He does. So go ahead, Alex.
2: Was Jimmy Butler mostly guarding LeBron?
0: Uh yeah, I think for a lot of the game, yeah, because that's sure.
2: that's the other huge thing is LeBron had such a quiet game that if he can play that good of defense on him and carry that offensive
1: burden, then. Then yeah, they're well I think first of all I think the Cavs were sort of bored. Like I don't as, think they were sort As of they are during the yes, they're sleepwalking. It's they, a also got, game. they also have to figure out how to make Isaiah Thomas work with love and all yeah, that, and I yeah. think that's a work in progress. No,
0: there were there were definitely parts of the game last night, just from what I watched in my ten minute extended highlight, oh, yeah, that, were, right. that were more because the Cavs trying to figure stuff out and work on rotations than. Necessarily, yeah. what Minnesota did. Also, Tyus Jones, quick uh, button on a uh, bow on this. Jones has been plus in all but one of his ten starts, and overall, he as a starter, he's plus one fifty three points per three hundred and thirty seven minutes played. That breaks up uh, into plus twenty two per forty eight minutes. Thanks to Aaron Gleeman. Yep. on Twitter for Aaron that Damon, stat. shout out. Thank you for that number. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that is a
1: that is something. So, it, it, it's a, it's just because it's a better fit. Like the part of the problem with Minnesota, if you go back all the way to it, is uh you weren't really sure are they a young team that is prioritizing towns and like one of the one of the trade-offs of having a good mix of veterans and young players is you don't quite know
0: which which is more it important. should be known though that they have good veterans. Like you want Crawford, you want Gibson. Like those are the right types of veterans. From from what I've gathered from following the game and what you've he- heard about these guys, and Jamal Crawford is one of the best people in the league. Uh, Gibson's is as, as strong of a yeah, hand I mean, on the court as you could ask for if you're Tibbs who needs that extension of himself. Um, I mean... It still throws into question like what your goals are. I mean, as a Sixers fan, I'm sensitive to this because we've brought in guys to be veterans over the last couple years who weren't even there to play. At least they brought in veterans who were there to fill in the right minutes, positively affect the the on-the-court. Not like... Elton Brand or Mecca Okafor, who are there to, like, in the locker room, be parents. Yeah, you know, like, and nobody listens to them because they don't play. Right, exactly. That's sort of how it works
1: sometimes. If you if you don't play at all, you, nobody's going to pay attention to you. Yeah. Well, I want to get on to the rest of
0: the topics here, but I did want to go back real quick to, to two things. One thing real quick, which was you said uh, you would expect Minnesota, Alex, to beat OKC in a 4-5?
2: I do think they would win and then play Golden State and then— Towns is gonna just get abused on the pick and roll. <laughs> okay. Well,
1: but see, here's the funny. Let's talk about Carl Towns. Um, yep. because this is an interesting stat from John Schumann. So obviously, the big thing we were all wondering about with him is like, is he ever gonna get it on defense? Is he ever gonna try? You know, is he is he just a taller Carlos Boozer? Um, or I think somebody was calling him like Carl Anthony Cantor. Um, <laughs> but over the last bit of time, uh, and this was something that. I didn't realize the statistical impact was this pronounced but it is interesting. In the I'm trying to dig up the exact specifics of it. Uh in the first 20 uh in the first 20 games of the season, the Timberwolves were 10.6 points better per 100 possessions defensively with Towns in. In the last 21 games, they are 14 or worse with him in. Say it again? Sorry. In the first 20- <laughs> <laughs> they were almost 11 points worse with him in the game defensively in the first 20 games. Okay, in yeah. the last 21 games, they're actually almost 15 points better. Oh, okay. with him in,
2: huh. I wonder if it's because he used to play a lot less or stagger his minutes with Jimmy Butler, and now maybe he's not. That could be part of it. There's a lot of noise on. Play. Yeah. I, I mean, mean you it's, never it's know. Like player.
1: what you never know. It's, it's one stat doesn't dissolve right. everything, but I think he has been defending a lot better. Yeah, and if he's able to defend better. You know,
0: then it's like, what are we really complaining about here? No, I mean, part of what makes the whole Carl Anthony Towns conversation, to me, so hard to have is because he's exceptional. He's extremely young. He wants to get better. He's been getting better. But the defensive liability component was something that everyone has trouble putting their finger on. We all do. You and I have talked about this before. I brought up, like, physically he looks, like, very upright and that his body doesn't like the natural defensive crouch. Like, he doesn't move well. As a physical limitation, but that's something where I don't want to put that on a 22-year-old who looks to have like limitless uh, uh, dexterity. And you know, it seems like an curve. odd
1: criticism if he's so good exactly
0: everywhere else. Exactly, but then you know, part of it's like the is is Tibbs asking so much on offense; and he doesn't have to give it on defense. Is the as Alex mentioned, the fact that he's in a lot of pick and roll far from the basket with that potential limited. Uh, um, lateral movement, which I guess would be the bigger thing here, is the lateral movement. Again, I struggles. think in a way he's improved. Exactly. So is the question like, are we really scrutinizing someone who we didn't even give the chance to improve on what we were scrutinizing? Because it appears that he is, and we have to take that with a grain of salt. Which is like credit where credits due. Here, guy had obvious flaws. Seems to have made clear adjustments. So far, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, so,
1: but that's that's I think an interesting. I mean, when you think of Carl Towns, like what's the word association that comes to
0: your head? Driven would be the one for me. I I think I trust that he'll work on what he needs to to be in the top three or four in his position for the next decade.
1: You were calling out his defense here. Like, what what are the, like, what Carl Anthony Towns feels like we don't talk about him in a unicorn sense the same way we
0: used, we did at the beginning of the season. Well, as Paul, Paul wrote it well, which I thought was interesting, which is like, He's a unicorn in a different sense. He's Inso- not. Exactly. In so far as <laughs> he, in any other way, you'd look at a guy who's like seven feet tall and has incredible range, amazing deft touch. Like there are a lot of things about him that under any given say that the Porzingis and the Embiids and the Giannis don't exist, we would point to legitimately Carl Anthony Towns as like the most spectacular length and size or Anthony Davis doesn't exist. This guy's out of this world. But what he has is a traditional game. Plussed up into 2018's basketball, right. and yeah. that's where like we have to decide: is unicorn a physical thing? Is it a, an ability thing? Is it, it's a combination? Is what you yeah? You'd call to it.
1: me, it seems more like a character trait rather than huh. you know a ability thing. I mean, when you when you listen he can be to, really good and not be a unicorn. Totally, and when you listen to him be, Shaq not a unicorn. No. In
0: his era he was. Shaq was a unicorn. In his era.
1: Right. Okay. David
0: Robinson. Well,
1: no in his era. We got to save this conversation. Unicorn, we
0: potentially could be doing a unicorn podcast <laughs> down the road. So
1: Well, so so you were talking about Towns and his defense and you still were saying he's going to get ticked apart in a Warriors series. Why do you think that the conversation around him has been again more about where he isn't than where he is?
2: Because of the presence of a team like the Warriors, you know, to do anything, you're gonna have to get through them, and so it all comes down to how do they match up versus this team. If this were 2006, you know, the Timberwolves would be a championship contender. But here's the
1: thing: they haven't even made the playoffs yet. So why are we? Why does it matter what happens with the Warriors? Because it always matters. Yeah, but I mean, we don't say, do we say this about, um, we never say this about Joel Embiid. Like, oh, how's Joel Embiid going to match up with the Warriors? Because he's yeah. not destined. We're not he's play not that.
2: destined to face them. Yeah. Towns is probably on a
1: collision course to face them. I mean, do we say this about Nick Jokic? I mean,. Um, they're, they could, they're, could be destined to face him too if they if they were in that four five slot. Then yeah, I think but it's they're not that far off. I mean, come on, they I, could win a couple games the, and then they're okay, in when, the slot. When they're, when they're in the four five, then I'll talk sh- shit about you. But like, that's just so silly. Like, why why are we why are we talking about Towns as a negative as how he fits in with the Warriors? But we're not having that conversation about other young big. guys You're right. It's in a, it's a different conversation. Like, don't, don't you think that says something?
2: It's a different conversation. You're right. It's a, it's a tangent
1: for sure. But but it affects it no. But the reason I think it's important is it affects how we view the dude.
2: Right. No, I'm not. I'm not saying he sucks because the Warriors could could abuse him. I'm
1: saying uh, we're doing the I, Warrior scale again. Yeah, we, we fall into this a
0: lot. Exactly. But we're
1: selectively applying the Warrior scale only to Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> yeah. Do you see what I'm oh, saying? I do that
2: all the time with Kevin Love. I like I. I yeah, but it. that
1: okay. That makes a little more sense. Kevin Love's not gonna. Kevin Love's on a championship contender team that has played the Warriors three straight years yeah, in the true. finals. Like that's a totally <laughs> and is an older dude. Like he's an yeah. established player. Like there's much less of a like, chance. Well, and, yeah, and
2: or, or even other teams in the West like the Rockets say, or well,
0: the, how about the first like, round potential matchup with the like, Pelicans? Yeah, like, put Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins against the Warriors scale, and it's interesting. That's yeah, an but interesting but matchup. The, the,
1: the conversation. That's what you're saying. You're saying that's an interesting matchup. Yeah. You're saying, oh, he's had no chance. <laughs> so what right, about
2: what right. about like that? What do you make of the Daryl Morey quote that every move he makes, everything he thinks about is with the Warriors in Well, are it mind. makes
1: sense. For, what, what, <laughs> we're talking about two different – this is where I think this is like a – the the Timberwolves are sort of victims of their own I agree. I know exactly uh, you're going exuberance is. in what the moves they made and their own like kind of throwing their cards on the table by getting Jimmy Butler. It has made us – it has raised their expectations before they've actually done anything. Yeah. And so that's going to automatically create – and this is the same thing with Towns. He – number one pick, and not only – and he started off like, like a bang. Yeah. So unlike some other players who have taken a more traditional sort of steady step up or are a new thing, nobody thinks the Pelicans are ever going to compete with the Warriors, right. ever. But we have these visions of Minnesota – In the future with all these great players and with Towns and Wiggins and Butler and the Star Power and the vets that they've acquired as being a legit in that frame when functionally they've accomplished the same thing so far. And I think that's where the conversation around Towns has become a little haywire because it it takes us a minute to remember 22-year-old kid putting up these numbers – not necessarily unicorny, but still pretty damn good. And like, and like I'm a victim of this too. Like, I'm pick, picking apart his defense. I'm wondering if he's got the right disposition. I'm seeing him struggle with certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm seeing him on a team where they've got Jimmy Butler and Wiggins, and maybe the same thing is happening in in the reverse with the Wiggins discussion that we always have. Hmm. Let's have that, by the way. Yeah. Wanted to transition into Wiggins. <laughs> so I just think I think uh, with Towns, it's it's interesting to see the other the other interesting thing I, I think what's going on there is that to some degree, is there like a social media sort of embarrassment factor for improving his defense? I've thought about this with Harden a lot as well.
0: Social media shaming into becoming a
1: better, yeah, like is he player? is he like starting to to Pay more attention is because he's been shamed publicly more so than like kind of by his coach. Well, it's a thought I've always well, had with Harden as well. He,
2: because of who his coach is, well, I wouldn't sleep on on his on his coach's role. But, but right,
1: but some the that, same coach that he was playing poorly defensively tra- with you know last he's, year. He's, he's so aware. Did you
0: listen to his the interview with Redick? Like I didn't know. He's so aware of his peer set and his predecessors. Like maybe too aware. Potentially, he's and too, he's and this too goes, smart. And this goes to where we were, you know, we'd had, we've had this conversation on this podcast before, and I always fall on the side of give me the over dedicated, over intelligent, over caring above the, you know, doesn't, oh, yeah, doesn't care enough. But, absolutely. But with that in mind, like, he's fully aware of how great, two ways, specifically defensively, Embiid is, uh, Giannis is. Like, right. they, they put so much into their defensive dominance. When he sees his peer set doing that and knows that, look, I am a step away from being. Uh, different, but equally impressive on offense. They all have their own core set of, of abilities, um, but I think of Porzingis in the same boat here. Porzingis needs to get stronger, but his help defense is really good. His on ball is not that good yet. But yeah. you know, County Town sees this and says, "Well, how do I become the best in my legitimately age bracket, position bracket?" He's aware of that. And right. so I, I, meanwhile,
1: I, though, he's lost track of this the fact that he's played way more games than Porzingis. Yes. So he's yes. demonstrated that he's stayed healthy. And yeah. He yeah. and we, frankly, like, and I think maybe I have as well. And now it's now the Timberwolves are winning. We're able to sort of see this and maybe it's helped that Butler has taken on a little bit more of the, you know,
0: thrust himself into the spotlight a little more. Um, Real quick, guys. You think uh, Andrew Wiggins is a top. 60, Six zero. 0 Alex, you think Wiggins is a top 60 this, player in the league? This
2: is my statement on Wiggins. He has regressed this year. He is not not playing as well as I thought. I would not go as far as Mike Prado went to say he is literally a below average player, that literally half of the NBA is better than Andrew Wiggins. Wait, wait. And just so everyone
0: knows, we have had this specific (laughs) conversation slash argument. Shall I read Andrew Wiggins' numbers to you? Before you give us the numbers, Mike, give us your argument and then codify it with some numbers. He's a below average starter at this point. (laughs) Like
1: He is. Nice. Uh, he's go ahead with the inefficient. He yeah. doesn't do anything other than score. He's overrated on defense. He doesn't rebound. He's just true shooting percentage stinks. You know, this is supposed to be the year that he was supposed to do less, and therefore he could be better at the things he did. No, the exact opposite has happened. You know, he's shooting 33% from three. Forty seven percent per two not great, thirteen point four PR, fifty point two true shooting, a ton of games where he does literally nothing. Yeah. The Cavs game aside was such a revelation because he actually did stuff. He actually made athletic plays. He otherwise you just not really there. I'm not giving up hope yet. Not gonna do it. I mean,
0: I'm not necessarily giving up hope, hope, Can we break either, down the 60 number real quick? Just because I, I like the top 60 because I find that to be a great— I don't think he's a top 60 player, no. No. Not Where would you put him then? What number would he fall in? Like, like, let's do this. You guys did I mean, a you spit out a bunch of names, and I'll tell you if I think would that— Would you rather
1: have Markeith Morris than Andrew Wiggins? No, because I don't like Markeith Morris. You know this. Robert Covington. I think Robert Covington has been a better player this year, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. 1,000%. Okay. All right. Marcus Smart. Uh, That's a tricky one, but I think he's been a more effective player this year. Yeah. Smart has been more effective. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Smart's a very difficult player to figure out. He is. because is. He's, he's
0: going to be a, the most interesting restrictive free agent next
1: offseason. Yeah, it's hard to value, but, I mean, you can't – I mean, he's sort of the anti-Wiggins is that. Like, Wiggins, he's just – you don't notice him. He doesn't
0: really do anything. i keep going with this. Kelly Oubre.
1: Oh, no, no. Wiggins okay. is better than but Kelly But Porter.
0: Oubre. Oh, Porter's better. Porter's than, better. So better. he's somewhere between Porter and Oubre. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I,
1: I again, like – but this is why I find this interesting. So if – let's say – Are you calling him a small forward, by the way? That's what his
0: position would be for wing. you? A wing, a wing, just they're NBA offensive
1: wing. They're, they're, they're guards, wings, and bigs. Now. Yep. Yep. No, yep. No, so if you think that he still has the potential to be, let's say, serviceable to his draft position, and I'm just saying serviceable. I'm not saying above his draft position. Two. Well, he was the first pick. First, right. first pick, right? So, like You're yeah. talking like, like this is a guy that should too. make yeah. multiple all-star teams. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you, do you still think he will make multiple all-star teams? I if sure he don't. doesn't,
2: it would be just because of the historical strength of the West. Um, he's 22? He's 22. I still think, yeah, he'll, he'll wind up making multiple no. all-star games. So. Wally Zerbiak has made all-star games.
0: Jamal McGlore. It's also harder to make the All Star game though when two of your teammates will likely be All Stars but, but throughout see, that process. Is,
1: but he's not going to play the rest of his career with them too. No, but this is interesting though. The Timberwolves gave him a five year max, and they have, and on the court they have completely. They are. I think they're punting on really trying to develop him as a star. Because how you have Butler and you have Towns and you can't develop all three. And he's been worse so far. I'm curious to see how this plays out. He's been worse as a complimentary player than he
0: than as a like sort of fake star. He, he has a tendency to drift away from the ball. That's one of the things I've noticed. Like, maybe part of that's because when you come into this year and Teague has the ball, Teague takes a lot of his own shots. Isn't that much better? I was going to say I'd be interested to know his, since his numbers Jones since started? Jones has started. Uh, I'd assume they've gone up, but think, only because his usage would go up. But I don't, I don't know.
1: No, I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, I think what the way the reason they're playing better is that Towns and Butler are the two guys, and there's no more like sort of.
0: who right, So give me who are the guys that are. Give me the projection, Mike. Like who who is he going to be a facsimile to when he's 28 years old? I think it's hard to say though because this is speaks to the the challenge of.
1: Going back to the original point, like, what are the Timberwolves and where are they going? They, on the one hand, have two young players that you want to develop, one of which they've already maxed out and the other of which they surely will. They also have a number of other veteran contracts, high contracts in the books. They have a 28-year-old star who plays the same position as the dude you just maxed out. you know. And so far, at least, I don't think those two have... Gone the best out of each other. Like, you know, it's not like Butler has so far has not been good for Wiggins's production.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Kind of saw that yeah, but the some of the argument was that, oh, it'd be great for Wiggins. It would get him into, channel him into a better role and he would teach him good habits and all that stuff. We haven't at least seen that play out on the court. Now, to, I have not seen him improve defensively or in any of the ways that, you know, a good role player would. Maybe there's stuff going on that I don't know. Maybe that'll change. But if that's a you see sort of where you're on now, like two different wavelengths of expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the question then becomes, okay, two years are up. Like, so what are you going to do with Jimmy Butler in two years? Don't you want to keep him? I mean, he's, it would be a problem if he left for nothing, but then what do you do with Wiggins? You're never all attempts to give him the opportunity to play Butler's role have not been successful yet. And, You're succeeding more because you have limited those. Because Butler has again taken on more, especially in crunch time. He's like the guy in crunch time now, and they have been more successful. So, what exactly is your what is your long term plan here? I think
2: it's very possible that Wiggins could get traded in the next year
1: or two. Then Um, why did you max him out? That doesn't make him him a harder trade. Makes a lot harder. I I
2: think there's teams that would pick up his contract. and and yeah, you're right. I don't, I, know, I, man. <laughs> I don't think Wiggins and Butler are as good to like the sum of the parts isn't as much as, you know, individually or whatever. But uh, yeah, no, I agree that it hasn't been as good of a fit I thought.
1: Yeah. I'm not I don't know, I guess I'm just not surprised that this has
0: happened. Jimmy Butler's beat LeBron seven straight times. That's Never crazy. when it matters. Yeah, it's, I know, I know right? <laughs> <laughs> Except for in the months of uh, May and June. Yeah, um. that's
1: always the thing with LeBron. <laughs> All yeah, right. so fascinating <clears> team, <throat> Minnesota. Um, yeah, but I'm can... glad they're playing better. And We're... I think the sooner we accept them for where they are instead of what we think they could be, the better we'll feel about them. It's a yeah. matter of expectation. And, like,
0: as basketball fans, like, let's be rooting for Oklahoma City, Minnesota first round. That'd be awesome. Um, all right. Let's move on to uh, <laughs> while we have Alex here, I know his time is slightly more limited than than ours, uh, Mike. So you guys, I got, like, a slack, like, an urgent one this morning from Mike. It was, like, Alex is at it again. And I was like, oh, what's going on? What, what could this possibly be? his take couldn't be any worse than the false one from last week. And he's like, Oh, it's worse. It's worse. So, (laughs) so Mike, what was it, uh, that Alex actually, Screw it, Alex. The horse's mouth, right here. I, I what, said, what was it?
2: I was talking about how the Heat have been playing well lately, and I yeah, said four, I,
0: four wins in a
1: row. Uh, the last month they've been pretty good. They're now uh, are they fourth in the East or fifth? I, I think fifth, fifth. but they're, I, they're still fifth technically.
2: But I'm saying I think I think I would call them the third best team in the East as they stand right now. I think, and it came what? down. It came. It came down. To the hypothetical question of who would win in a playoff series right now between the Heat and the Raptors, we're and assuming
1: that Lowry is going to be even fine. with
2: a, and with a healthy Kyle Lowry. And I just, especially because of how big of a coaching advantage they have, Spoelstra over Casey. I think I think Spoelstra is one of the five best coaches in the NBA. This is um, lunacy. I I think the Heat could very easily beat the Raptors in a no playoff chance. series, and that has been. Uh, can they and, both
0: be right? Can Can Spo be a top five coach, but that not matter here? Yeah, that doesn't. That's
1: that's lunacy. That's like that's so old bad. school. That's old school like I haven't been watching the Raptors this year. <laughs> right no,
2: the Raptors have been really good in the regular season for a half decade now. It's just I their offense falls apart in the playoffs. And I think I think in a in a slow down, grinded out, watching a ton of film on the same team over the course of two weeks, I I'd give the edge to the
1: heat. See, I think Miami is a great regular season team that is gonna be bad in the playoffs because at the end of the day, they don't have you know, they, they, they succeed because they outwork you, because they move the ball faster, because they, they push it, because of the South Beach factor. Um, not to take anything away from them. It's impressive what they've done. But at the end of the day, when you play the same team five, six, seven times, you know how they, your effort is going to match theirs more often than not. You're going to get closer just by virtue of the breaks. And at the end of the day, they're, they're not going to have an all-star. But how come Toronto yeah. like how come Toronto
2: has consistently underwhelmed in the playoffs?
1: Well, I think I think Toronto it's the same sort of thing but you're comparing one to the other and Toronto has got certainly has one dude who you've got to change your game plan for. Yeah. And they've again I think there have been some subtle shifts that have happened this year that we've talked about in previous pods. Yeah, the
0: Raptors are more athletic and deeper this year. Those yeah. things matter.
1: And DeRozan is a better playmaker Much better, and yeah. you know, they're harder to defend and I mean, if you're asking me, like, does Toronto have a real chance against Cleveland? I know they're playing this week um, in the playoffs. Like, no, I probably would not take them over Cleveland. but And I wouldn't take Miami over Cleveland either, but... But <laughs> compared to the two, I mean, like, they're... You have They're the same thing, except one team has much better talent.
2: You have to come up with wrinkles and tweaks in the playoffs. And I think I think Spolstra will snuff out everything Casey's doing. And I think he'll have uh, some tricks in the back. So here's
1: the thing about Spolstra Spolstra's a really good coach, but Spolstra strikes me as a really good, like, kind of regular season culture. There are two brackets of coaches. I think we have to remember the playoffs are such a different animal. They're the really good culture setters and overachievers and the really good people at, like, kind of creating a system and a way of playing that allows you to achieve on the macro sense. And then there are the coaches that are really good at tinkering in the micro sense, at finding the adjustment, at innovating. I don't think those are always the same thing. I would say that they're only – like Rick Carlisle strikes me as a great tinkerer. If it's a playoff series, I'm not sure I want to face Rick Carlisle because – He's really good when you get to dive in. I think there are a lot of coaches as well who tinker too much in the regular season, and when they get into a playoff series, it's a little more interesting. Eric Spolstra strikes me as a really good culture setter. Like, But what they do isn't particularly complicated, but they do it really damn well in the regular season. Those types of coaches, I think the coaching advantage shortens in the playoffs there because they're— they're more. I they I think Greg Popovich is kind of the ultimate culture setter. Like if you had to grade each coach on like the spectrum of culture setting versus in game adjustments. Because
2: you're you're not a big pop in the playoffs,
1: guy, right? Well, I I just think that again, let's say you have two separate grades, right? You would give Popovich an A plus 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 a culture setting. You might give him what an A minus B plus at in game adjustments.
0: Still pretty good, yeah, yeah, but yeah. who who's at the top of your in game? list Rick
1: Carlisle is way up there um, Stevens I think Brad Stevens is pretty good although I think the jury is still a little bit out because we haven't really seen a whole lot of examples Um, I think Dwayne Casey did some really good things in terms of adjustments in game in the playoffs last year to be honest uh, with with Milwaukee that series I think I think Scott Brooks is a little bit more of a playoff type of coach maybe that's just because I've seen what he's done with Oklahoma City uh, I think Ty Lue is a really good example of a better sort of in the playoff sort of tinkering in a series coach than like sort of a regular season coach. If you look at some of the best teams, uh, he's a little bit better at sort of – you saw what they did with like their defense in the East. That really was like sort of a this adjustment that came out of nowhere. You know, I um, – we'll have to see about D'Antoni. I think D'Antoni's pretty good at both. Um and a lot of it depends on who you're, you have on your team. Sure. I was going to say, a lot of this is like Billy, like Billy Donovan strikes me as someone who, I don't think he's a particularly great coach, but I think he's a better playoff coach than a regular season coach. And Spolster, I mean, again, Spolster would get an A-plus at culture setting, but he might only get a B in the playoffs in terms of, in terms of the tinkering. He, does and Riley
0: that, get half of that A-plus, though? Like, isn't he such a big part of the culture of the Heat?
1: Yeah, it's all of that. It's all part of the same it's all of it.
0: organizational stability. Right. So, um, I don't.
1: I, my, my, I guess my long winded point here is I don't really think that it's a, of that significant of a coaching advantage okay. in the playoffs. But
2: you, you disagreed so vehemently that I feel like you think it would be a sweep or something.
1: Can I, can I ask you? I don't think Miami is going to win more than two playoff
0: games. If, I would be very surprised. Can I ask you guys both questions? question? Can you think of an example where a lesser team that was way better coached, like in the specifics of what we just talked about, the X's and O's coach, in game guy? mate was the reason for the upset or like uh, or or even think of an upset in general where you could even append that type of well, certainly Don Nelson versus uh Sure. Avery the, the, the Mavs one eight there. That's probably the the best yeah case study. I don't think
1: you see it that much. I think it's sort of my point. Like yeah.
0: I mean at the end of the day in I'm the playoffs
1: at. what you what you need is you need more people who are capable of doing more things. In the regular season, like every scab you have gets picked apart. And Miami is a team that is really good at hiding scabs in the regular season, but I'm not sure I guess we haven't seen this group in the playoffs, but I I don't think that they're... But we have seen the Raptors in the playoffs. We have. We have seen... I mean, we've seen the Raptors' core players in the playoffs. We'll see. I'm not suggesting that the Raptors are the best team in the East. I'm just saying that, you know, the more interesting question I think will come if if you were saying Washington or even Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Milwaukee is a total enigma, but that's a team where it's like, okay, those dudes have more talent and they're better at, like, sort of schematically in a in a micro sense, I mean, I know because Scott Brooks in a macro sense, I mean there's some things he does well, but certainly not t- tactical mm-hmm. you know getting that team like ready to play every night, like I don't think that that's <laughs> that's really been that yeah. good for them, yeah, but Miami, I think is just basically Toronto Light. that's why I object to this uh-huh. this conversation, uh-huh.
2: well, and I don't necessarily disagree that they might not win more than two playoff games because they very well might play Cleveland in the first round, but um. Yeah, hopefully we get that Raptors. I say
0: no matter who they play, they're not winning more than two playoff games. Okay, we shall see. All right, on to the next topic here. Uh, A couple more to, to wrap with. I just wanted to say real quick on, as we were still talking about the Raptors, the Kyle Lowry thing last night when he fell on his back, got up from what was a really nasty spill from a good height landing on his back and awkwardly to like leg over leg. And there was like not just the impact, but the pulling and the twisting of the impact. um, Getting up and then falling back down as no one from the training staff Came out to help him until he fell down again on the court. <laughs> yeah, so, that was an interesting. So, the, the only reason I want to bring it up is because there's such an emphasis on head and spine in every other sport. But then the NBA has less of them, granted. But the ones that they have had, and I think back to TJ Ford, whose career was ended by a spinal injury. Also on the Raptors. Also on the Raptors, <laughs> ironically, although I don't know if it's the same staff. I'm probably, probably not. Probably not. It's a long time ago. But Somehow, when a guy falls from crazy heights—mind you, these are NBA players jumping and getting low-bridged, not, you know, Alex, myself, or (laughs) Mike— He fell hard, awkwardly. They treated it like he had sprained his ankle. Hey, walk it off. It's like, well, or maybe he had a disc that was misplaced at the moment, and we don't know. It could, it might only be like he a was sort bad contusion. Away though, wasn't he? Yeah, because players in sports always think that they're okay. There's a toughness level to everyone. Like, well, they didn't exactly. When they eventually carried him off, it was not exactly the most stable. At position. All. Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah. The best way to stabilize <laughs> someone's spine is to like at different heights <laughs> grab the hamstring and pick him up. <laughs> like, what are we? Oh, I just found that to be completely ridiculous. And 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 mind you, it was like an overtime of a very physical and, and good game, as Mike said uh, that he watched last night. Did you night.
1: Did you hear the way the uh, Raptors were talking about the injury after the game? No, I thought. I uh, see, bruising your tailbone sounds incredibly painful, but it does give you the opportunity to have like these really good quotes, like. Uh, Kyle Lowry being wheeled out for x-rays saying, x-rays on my ass. <laughs> and then Ke- Dwayne Casey saying, what body part hurt? Oh, his butt. His butt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're so much. Well, look, and, if, 12,
0: it's, yeah, and if it's did, just like the, the junction where your uh, your coccyx meets your spine and, and your oh, pelvis and you, all the good stuff in there. that word. I, look, as way. someone who knows all the different <laughs> parts of the lower back, because I've had a lot of those, it could be the sciatic. Wait, can you say that word
1: again a little slower?
0: Which one? The uh pelvis? No, 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 no. the one Spine? with the, the C collar? Oh, god. Oh, the coccyx. Yes. <laughs> See, this is so childish. My god.
2: We're trying to this, I'm just laughing cuz Mike's dying.
0: We got our producers in here they're laughing at, at, at us for being child children. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. But yeah, that's what he landed on. That's the formal uh term for your for your tailbone mike uh anyhow it's the scientific way to, to talk about yes, this yes. but the point is like there's a lot of, of things that connect there and actually crisscross um at that at that space so the fact that it was just treated as a a regular fall and, or whatever it just felt a little bit i don't know off player safety is important
1: what do Speci- you think of joe harris like barging into like this you know to a rebound he probably
0: wasn't going to get it, yeah. do you think it was a
1: little bit of a reckless play it a was little, a little right.
0: bit It was a little bit reckless, but that is like Joe Harris is making his money playing aggressively and, and being at all things at all times. And we don't say then. the
1: same thing about Matt Delvadova interestingly enough, even though it's the same. I don't
0: sort. I mean, I think has done some objectively dirty stuff in his career. Yeah, but I think he's dirty, a hardworking, was, good player. Yeah, you're and, right rep you know. wise he doesn't have it. Yeah. Um, and Joe Harris is, you know, that, my understanding is Joe Harris like walks around and lives a super from what I've been told, like normal life in Brooklyn, and that like, do you ever da- see him? Doesn't have social media and stuff. No, but I used to I mean I've said this before, Everybody I used to see Lopez media, and stuff. I don't Not this guy. I don't think Joe Harris does. Um I could be wrong on that, but I don't think he does. Um so yeah, that was just one thing I wanted to note. Um Do couple, you want to talk about LeVar Ball. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well let's end with LeVar. I, I wanted to get this off my chest real quick too, which was it's great to see Steph Curry back. We'll call these Bendettas, but mostly this is just me being excited and 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 I love watching Steph play. But I think when you when he's on the court and i think the word i used was the essence of warriors basketball like if someone says oh I, you know i cooked this uh, i baked this bread for you there was lavender in it do you taste the lavender you'd be like yeah yeah i can actually get the essence of it from that bite well the essence of the warriors i was wondering is where you're Steph. going you yeah going like what the, makes this team so Steph this is the lavender in the warriors kick. yeah he's the he's the flavor you're looking to highlight like the idea is that the rest of that whatever you're creating here uh is predicated upon the uh the look, the feel, the the, the um, pace, the personality, all the different parts that Steph kind of brings to the game. It's so good when he comes back. It's even better when he's out for a few weeks so you can really see what the team is like without him, which is a good basketball team, really good, probably still the best in the league. Could still be a championship favorite without could, him. Could, could, but... It's not the Warriors. They're not the Warriors, yeah. like The thing that we've clinged to or that we've become so accustomed to and, and is, is what Steph provides to the whole team. And... What that then gives Clay? Clay is such a different player when Steph is also. Are on you, the court. Is
1: this a long winded way of saying you still think Steph Curry is underrated?
0: Yeah, I think that Steph Curry. Yeah, I, I do. It's so weird to have yeah. a two time MVPs, unanimous only unanimous. And, yeah. yeah, only unanimous, and 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 you know the the head figure on the turnaround figure for um, <laughs> not just for the Warriors, but like the Trey Young era of basketball player that's yeah. coming up now. Like they, the Steph effect is so real. He's such a transcendent force in the NBA, and yet people would still, you know, if you have 100 NBA writers, I think the NBA writers would tell you that Steph is not overrated. But 100 NBA fans, 50 of them would still pick Russ over him legitimately, legitimately.
1: Well, I think the more interesting question here is who's the best player on the Warriors? Yeah. And I bet if you asked a hundred personnel people, you might get fifty that say Kevin Durant at least. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that, but best is so like best for any other team. Their most Kevin indispensable
2: Durant. might be Draymond.
0: No, I nah, still think it's Steph. I think it's Steph. Too. I, I feel you, but I still think it's Steph. And I think indispensable is interesting there too because I, Kevin Durant mitigates some of what used to make Ke- Draymond so indispensable. Right. Like That's he's still an well. incredible player, but. Durant gives you that rim protection. He's going to be able to guard up and down. Like, he is a perimeter and a big at this point. Um, And ultimately, like, give KD the ball and step away. Like, that's an actual play. But the the idea is, like, they have a go-to guy now who's your ISO, but the flow and the pace and the passing and the way that we have come to appreciate the Warriors is based upon Steph and always will be. And then when he comes back after missing a few weeks, just to be, like, re uh, like. Um, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Like re... Hmm. Can't think of the right word. So Integrated a, or whatever into, an, into Steph a, ball is great.
1: Here's another easy way to ask the question. You Steph with the everybody. If you had 14 of the same players on a team but one, your 15th was Steph, versus if you had 14 players of the same team and your 15th was KD, which team do you think would be better?
2: I think it depends on which the which player the 14 is. No, but
1: it's the same 14.
2: Right, but it still matters who it is. You know what I mean? mean. Like if the if it's if the other if the fourteen is Bradley Beal, or if the fourteen is you know Anthony Davis, or it uh, what?
1: No, type I'm of saying let, let's say you. It's not one player fourteen times. It's the same fourteen collection of players oh, that uh, have oh. been crafted together to form the most normal NBA uh, team. I
2: thought you meant cloning the same player. No, no, times. no, no, okay.
1: no, 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 no. Like like you have four. <laughs> Fourteen players are exactly the same. Gotcha. They fill the same functional roles, but your fifteenth is Steph versus your fifteenth is KD. I'm
2: leaning KD this year, and the main reason why is just how unbelievable he's been defensively. Hmm.
1: See, I think Steph. I think it's Steph.
2: Yeah, I can see why you why you think that, and I would have said that last year. But he's Durant's taken his defense to almost a defensive player of the year type level, Hmm. and
1: that's that's a huge tiebreaker. But I think I think that this. I would say that most people would take KD. Even yeah. I, I, I think that's think your so. point. I think basically. that's the point I made.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. But that Steph is still for this team and the way that we look at this Warriors team and this dynasty or whatever, that it's, it's always going to be Steph's team regardless of – and maybe this is part of what uh, that makes Kevin Durant sometimes insecure – is that it was Russ's team, and now it's Steph's team. But he knew and that going in. he's the best player on both of them. He knew <laughs> that going in, though.
2: He knew he, what yeah, he was signing up yeah, for yeah, so yeah. it's not like he's, he's getting of caught course. off guard Steph
1: anyways. is not exactly the type to shout to the Rafters as his team. No, no, no for sure. No, I mean, sure. it's possible. I mean, there's one thing for knowing it, and there's another thing for yeah. accepting it. it yeah, agreed, agreed. What um, happened. Um, I'll
0: right. say real quick, last bandetta and it was the shout-out to Joel Okafor's player Tribune piece about, like, the time is now. Dude got, like, 11 minutes against Boston, and then... Coins a writes a piece about how the time is now. Uh, I hope to look for as a, a successful MBA career, and I'll, I'll leave it at, at that. Um, although I will say the fact that he started the article off or the column off with uh, that he owes it all to Airbud or like the the best place to start about his MBA career is to go back to Airbud. Um Not a good omen for his defense. Um, get him an editor, man. <laughs> <laughs> something like – says the editor just, of Basketball Content, Mike Prada.
1: I, I'm like scrolling through that article. Like first of all, the title sounds ridiculous but it's a reference to what his father – Yes, his dad. Yeah. … used to send people. Yeah. So, I mean that was like – I don't know, in graph
0: 35 maybe? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't <laughs> about burying the lead. Uh, his Great. dad was always an issue in Philly, though. Too, like he butted heads with the media. I mean, he would. We've had guys on this podcast from Liberty Ballers who have been in like social media wars with Joe Loco dad. Hmm. So, like, and speaking of dads, yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, dads that
1: are nailed uh, it, Mike. <laughs> speaking of dads that are talking up their players. Um. So, by the way, I, I just want to talk about this Bolivar Ball thing. I don't want to talk about media rights and. Is he have the right to say it and how should media handle his blabbering? We're not going
0: to talk about what Carlisle said to, about ESPN.
1: Right. We're not going to talk about Rick Carlisle or Steve Kerr. Like if you want to find that, you can just scroll my Twitter feed. <laughs> like it's interesting, but I know you probably are fatigued by that conversation. One of the more interesting – but what has happened through this is Alex, you and I were talking about this. You think that the Lakers are making a big mistake not responding to it. You really think that they've got to do something about this?
2: I think I think they absolutely have to nip this in the bud and completely strip all you know reporters and media from him. Especially, can't do that. Well, don't don't give him the platform where that they've been giving him is basically what I'm saying. Who the Lakers? May, not specifically the Lakers, because I mean, but,
1: the ESPN sent du- is Jeff Goodman is just like in Lithuania. Like, how can how the Lakers have any control over that? D-
2: the Lakers did revoke media access to his part of the stadium when he's there, or something like that. There's right, there's, the a, there's a whole not, thing sure there. did
1: sure did a whole lot of good. Exactly. there. Exactly. So um, what? Okay, so forgetting of like whether the, what you're basically saying is that forget the media stuff. You think that Magic and Palinka and Luke Walton have got to have a more st- a stronger public statement on this? Like, do you do you want Magic to come
0: out and be like? Lavar's got to stop well, As yeah. someone who hates
2: the Lakers, I don't want him to because I love them. I love them being in chaos. But for their best interest, especially if they want to have a chance at getting LeBron, they have to. They have to have so as soon as
1: possible. I have a question about like, like what? What is that going to accomplish? In terms of LeBron? No, just in terms of I mean improving the situation for the Lakers as a brand and a fan base.
2: Well, that the main the main thing that hits me when I think about it is LeBron that angle. But. uh I I just think you're 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 fostering an environment where I mean you already can't lure free agents like you used to because Jerry Buss ain't walking through that door and so uh, how do you expect guys to want to sign there when that's the environment you're putting them in? But
1: they already put them in that environment by drafting Lonzo Ball. Yeah, they knew. Do you part, know part what, of I mean? what I mean? I always so what back what to: is, Do they need to trade him then? Is that the answer? Well, so my question is like: Let's. The argument that we see, and you're not the only one to have this argument, this point, I've seen this all over the place where it's like, you know, Magic and Palinka have got to show some accountability. They can't just let LeVar blabber around without a response. They got to do this for Lonzo, for the good of the team, and blah, blah, blah. And my answer to that is. Does that validate it? I mean, like, what, forgetting whether it does or not, like, what is is that accomplishing? Is that going to get LeVar Ball to stop talking? No. Is that going to. Does Luke Walton need the vote of confidence? I don't think he needs the public vote of confidence. I think it would also raise questions if he was given the public vote of confidence. Kind of like how we always joke that the second you get a vote of confidence means that you're about to get fired. (laughs) And it's
2: giving credibility to LeVar's words if they do that. So, but but
1: like, but, but. That's what this is why I'm asking. Yeah. what What is the functional effect
0: of saying something? There must be something. So, I do think functional effect here is. Uh, number one, simple optics. This is our coach. He's the coach of our professional team. We know that Lavar did this to the Chino Hills high school coach, publicly took him down without personally talking to him about it, uh, and got the guy fired. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is Luke Walton. He's one of the best coaching prospects in basketball. Still, he's a super young guy. Even though the team is struggling, even though the team is struggling, if he got fired, you know, it, it's you know, it's like uh, Andy Reid was fired by the Eagles, and the next day he was coaching the Chiefs. If Luke Walton was fired, the next day he'd be coaching, I don't know, Memphis or something, right? Yeah, Whatever. Probably, a team would, probably like, right, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Like a team, right? Memphis would probably be the one, but a anyway, team right. would be there to scoop him up. And the one thing that I will say though is nothing's new here. Nothing is like. I can't believe that this is what we ended up with. There's no surprise, so no, it shouldn't be. When, well when they drafted Lonzo, they should have been way out ahead of this. They should have and when I say out ahead of this, I mean be ready to have that this moment where Lavar Le- got mad at the head coach and and magic already had the you know the template written up, which was not a vote of confidence. But this is a professional organization. This is a player on our professional organization who's a part of the future of our franchise, and we do not draft players' parents or family members. So, do you- In essence, distancing yourself from this idea that this is an amateur who's playing with a bunch of professionals who needs his dad to still speak for him. Because when Alonzo's given the microphone, and this is something that does frustrate me on this, that next day when they asked him about it, he, you know— He's a low-key dude, but there are moments when you need to be a slightly more emphatic in the, even the words you use to support the guy who's controlling your minutes and, and the future of your NBA career because, you know what, him other him guys tough, are. They're putting him
1: in a tough spot as a rookie, I think, to, yeah, but to look, be able to do he's that. He's been
0: put in a tough spot by his dad to have to answer questions about his head coach because his father doesn't like it. Like, Jalil Okafor's dad never called... Never did this to Brett Brown, even though he was upset. He'd tweet about it and shit. But there was—it's lesser because he's not Levar. But there's like an element to this that should be: we knew this was going to be the case. This is how we were going to be prepared to handle it. Not handling it, unfortunately, here is putting more pressure on the player. To speak about it, to your Unless, point there about that. what if
1: their strategy was that this is how they're, they're going to handle it by not dignifying it? So this is why I'm—so you're, you're talking about free agency. Yes. And you think this, this limits their credibility to not respond. What can Magic Johnson say that will well, here's, here's what people I, around? Let's say you're— Here's what I've wondered about What do you think Magic that? Johnson should do right now?
2: I wonder if Magic Johnson went up to LeVar and said, if you don't shut the hell up, we're going to trade Lonzo. Because because
0: Lavar To w- Memphis. To Memphis or to, to Now, they Mars. did have a
1: conversation. They did – Palinka did meet with LeVar and, and asked him to tone down the criticism. Yeah. It obviously I mean, did not but work. If, if
2: they, and maybe, maybe he, they already have, but probably not. But if they said, we will trade him if you don't shut up, I think he would because he wants him in L.A. so bad – that I think that could be the only thing. And if that still doesn't shut them up, then all hope so is lost. So kind of
1: like how UCLA said, if you your players yeah. don't shape up. That worked out well. Yeah. <laughs>
0: now they're playing in Lithuania. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, the fact that that is a seamlessly off the tip of your tongue thing, yeah, okay, now those two children are playing in Lithuania. And it's not hyperbolic. That the end game here was that this dude fucked up his children's whether or not they ever play anything professionally outside of in Lithuania or the whereabouts in Europe, from a skill level, notwithstanding, they could have all, both, uh, I should say, the two younger brothers, gone to UCLA. What an incredible platform
1: they would have played. Well, I, I think we had Leangelo. wouldn't have.
0: Well, LiAngelo <laughs> mean, was there.
1: Yeah, he was there, but good. he wasn't playing. Well, that's. A, I think the jury's still out on whether it was good or bad. But the the point I'm making is like, yeah. if you tell him we're going to trade Lonzo, he'd be like, okay. Yeah, we're gonna do our we're gonna do our big baller thing in anywhere yeah, else. I agree. We don't need the Lakers to do
0: our big baller thing. Lakers are little ballers.
1: Ooh, I, yeah, I, Lakers are mm, or small ballers. Small ballers.
0: As, as, as when as when he was uh, the Federal Business Whatever so, Bureau was so calling him here, an F question. rating. Yeah.
1: yeah. Do you think that lo- last thing on this? Do you think that Lonzo? It would like is this hurting Lonzo? And what can be done to make it better for Lonzo and the Lakers?
2: I don't think it's great optics for Lonzo that he he basically doesn't try to distance himself from those words at all. Like they, when he was asked if he supports Luke, he gave a lukewarm, you know, uh, I, I'll i play for whoever my coach is. He didn't say, yeah, I support Luke. Luke's a great coach. And so if he – that gives off the impression he's on the same page as his dad and that's a bad look for him.
1: Well.
0: Lukewarm. All right. Lukewarm. That's
1: good. <laughs> so So if you're – Magic Johnson, what is the statement you're putting out now and what – if you if you believe that he should, what are you saying and why do you think the way you're saying it is going – what do you expect to – what do you hope will happen based on the way you're saying it? Like what is the statement or what is – whatever the strategy is to respond to this. The
2: statement is to threaten Lonzo's presence on the Lakers or Pre-
1: But But I'm saying – Publicly, because oh. obviously we don't know. We know that they had a conversation behind the scenes asking him to tone down, and it, it he he did not tone down. Um, so, what so, do you so do publicly? Now? Is your question? Yeah, I mean, because that's what you're saying, basically. I mean, if they got a hold, like
2: no. I think they can say publicly they disagree with Laval. Uh, so then that, that, that gets into the whole tricky thing of do they want to uh, even acknowledge his words. Maybe. That's
1: sort of my point. Right. I think that they're doing the right thing by not doing anything.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that. Is it
1: working? That. Is not doing anything
0: working?
2: I don't think well, anything can work unless they well, trade
0: <laughs> Working in what sense? What are you trying to accomplish? You probably want the best possible play from Lonzo. That's the goal for the Lakers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a—I don't know— if this is affecting Lonzo's play one way or the other, it'd be naive to suggest that there's no effect at all. But I, I don't know if it's uh, like uh, what in what way is Lon- like is Lonzo shoot like Lonzo's still playing the same way. Yeah, it's no, not uh, like he's trying to shoot
0: more to I agree. be selfish and I, I don't think there's really anything But everything we we talk about pertaining to Lonzo ball is uh juxtaposed to two things. Being pick number two overall, high pick, like we talked about with with um you know, with Wiggins and talent, like being being the place that you were picked, like being right. uh, a multiple-time all-star or whatever. And what Magic said yes. and to then set there, you Exactly. Up. And then yeah. what the greatest point guard ever said about you, who's also running the player personnel of your team, like – or basketball operations or whatever. Like, was he the president? That's what Magic's title is? Uh,
2: I think pre- executive vice president okay. of basketball ops maybe, something okay. like that.
0: So the idea, though, is like – so those two things don't run – like, congruent to letting your player have time to become the guy he should be. Like, that puts immediate expectations. Yeah, Um, that's true. You know, one of the other things about UCLA last year, and we talked about this many, many times on this podcast, but, like, they had shooters and they had some veterans and they had a system in place from Alfred that's been there for a long time that actually fit pretty well with what Lonzo did and they they changed it a little bit to fit his up-and-down game. But... I guess the thing is, like, LeVar is not new. Lavar existed pre-draft. He existed pre-UCLA. They knew what they were drafting with Lonzo, which was not your usual 18-year-old whose parents watch from wherever they're from. They were drafting, a, you know, in a, a companion unit, if you will, to, to the player. Um, right. And, like, so part of it's now it's like this is what you got and now you're getting it. So congratulations on the fulfillment of something that you under maybe undervalued when you were making this. This decision, and then the other part of this, I mean, obviously, is if Lonzo was playing great, you know, hitting forty-five percent of his the w- threes or forty-two percent z- of exactly. threes, people wouldn't be as harsh on the Lavar Lonzo situation. I mean, you know.
1: to put it more simply, if the Lakers hadn't lost eight, nine in a row or whatever they had, yeah. nobody's nobody's printing Lavar Le- Ball's opinion right. on the coaches, right. Right. even it's if right. he's Lavar right. Ball. That's I mean, right. That's right. it is in part. This is a I mean just a media thing. I think this is one thing that we didn't do a good enough job as a media conglomerate of sort of conveying is that part of the reason that it is somewhat interesting what he says about him, it's not just we're not just like printing Lavar's ball stuff willy-nilly, like it's that he has a history of undermining coaches of yeah. Lonzo's team and the
0: team is struggling. So it may be baiting yeah. to ask him. But I mean, it, think about since it comes from somewhere, totally. you know. Like since he's come to our public like limelight. They had a high school coach fired, and he took two of his children out of school. Right. So there's so clearly yeah. a divide with coaching. Right. Uh, I mean,
1: it's it, it's whatever college, they
0: is decided that's done with it. Like,
1: there is – it doesn't just come from like LeVar Ball like now here's LeVar Ball on Kellogg's frosted fruit flakes yeah, yeah. and here's yeah, yeah. LeVar ball on um you know which yeah, he's, he's new like, era hat is Lucky
0: Charms are delicious, but like, only the marshmallows. Everyone know, knows that. Like there is Fool. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like,
1: it's not yeah. totally out of nowhere. So yeah. I all right. I think it's interesting. I think the, the it all stems sends back to the larger question with that team, which is in proclaiming your free agent dreams, are you sacrificing some human capital on your team and, you know, blowing them up into something they're not instead of just letting them grow organically. It's another version of the Timberwolves question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. We just put ten more minutes than anyone should on the VAR. Everyone does we all do this. And uh anyhow, it's just it's interesting and, and uh, whatever your opinions are on um, the coverage that LeVar gets and the outlets that provide that, um, you know, notwithstanding, it is interesting the real effect it has on on a young team, their wins and losses, their young coach, the future of their free agency, um, and as an overall, it's this is something that isn't going to go away. Like as we be, as we move into the next iteration of high school players and, and and middle school players, right now, there's some overprotective parent out there right now who thinks that their son's the best point guard. Could be the best point guard in the NBA. Ben, um, I think you're the best podcaster in the business. <laughs> I think we're equally. Thanks, Mike. But with that in mind, this is the end of the podcast. Alex was able to make it to the the very end here. So thank you, Alex Rubenstein. I Appreciate pleasure. that. Uh, Mike Prada, I'm Ben Epstein, as always here. Um, and this was the Limited Upside Podcast.